This week on Myths and Legends, it's the beginning of the Nibelungalide, an extremely famous story of dragons, jewelry, love, and betrayal from the High Middle Ages. You'll see that if meeting your spouse involves a murdery version of the Olympics, and you also need your invisible super buddy to prop you up through the whole thing, it's probably not meant to be. The creature this time is what happens when you mix a house cat and a dragon. It's a somehow more predatory dragon. This is Myths and Legends, episode 189A, Cheater Cheater. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. So, the Nibelunglide. Long ago, in episode 3E, I think, I briefly mentioned the story calling it a different version of the last part of the saga of the Volsungs. And while that's kind of right, it's more wrong than it is right. Considered in some places to be an adaptation of the story of Sigurd, and in others that they both grew from a common, lost story, the Nibelungalide is set in what is now Germany in the 12th century. If you've heard the story of Sigurd, you'll hear echoes of the Volsungs, but in my opinion, this is almost a completely different story. Also, today's story served as inspiration for Richard Wagner's 19th century ring cycle. If you're familiar with the opera, you'll quickly see that while it shares a lot with the original, there are also big differences. Anyway, we'll jump in with the story of a princess who finds herself somewhere unexpected. Kriemhild looked at her hands, at the sky. She was in a field. How did she get into this field? She looked back to her arm. Oh, there was a falcon on it. Where did this falcon come from? Oh yeah, it was hers. She had raised it from a hatchling, that's right. She loved him. He loved her. She remembered the commands, and the falcon took off. She was far from home, or was she just outside the gates? She turned to face the Rhine, and the city of Worms, and quick note, Worms is the name of the city, and it was not a city made from worms. She looked up to her falcon, drifting on the warm updrafts. She smiled. Then, she saw the shadows. She knew what they were, and then they were. Eagles. Her heart beat faster, and she knew that the eagles were coming for him. They were going to kill and eat him. As if responding to her thoughts, the eagles noticed the falcon and swooped. She whistled, and her bird turned to return to her arm, but not fast enough. He was so focused on her that he missed the eagles until it was too late. Kriemhild watched as the talons tore her bird in half, and the two eagles feasted on their remains. Then she woke up crying. She looked around her room, the room of a princess and sat up. Her falcon. Wait, she didn't have a falcon, and didn't have the slightest idea how to control one. It had all been a dream. But what had it meant? Oh, I can tell you what it meant, her mother, the queen mother, said over breakfast that morning. The falcon is a noble man who, unless God helps him, will soon be taken from you. Kriemhild rolled her eyes and sat back. All right, cool. So, 
the same answer that her mom always gave. A husband. How many times were they going to have this conversation? She intended to stay free of a man's love all her life. She wasn't going to be made wretched by the love of any man. Her mother sneered. Well, all she knew was that if Krimhild was going to feel true happiness, it would only come from a man's love. Okay, you just said he would be figuratively torn in half, mom. Now you're saying it's the only way to be truly happy? Pick a lane. Now was the queen's chance to roll her eyes. Krimhild would see in time. She was finished talking about this. Good, Krimhild said, knowing that her mother would absolutely not be able to keep that promise. The mother and the daughter finished the rest of breakfast in uncomfortable silence. Outside, though, horns went up. Men were at the gate. Twelve in all. They wanted to speak to the king of the Burgundians, Gunther, and there was only one thing it could be about. His sister. Siegfried was going to ask for her hand in marriage. And if they didn't grant it, he was going to take it. You don't know Siegfried? Hagen cut in, nearly spitting out his wine. The king exhaled sharply. No. And he hated it when people did that. If he said he hadn't heard of something popular, just tell him about that thing. Anyway, okay, he'll bite. Who was the Siegfried kid? Hagen, one of King Gunther's advisors, said that Siegfried was a prince from the Netherlands. Okay, get this. The kid was out just adventuring on his own. Just riding along. And he hears a bunch of old guys arguing. He pulls his horse over and learns that these guys are the Nibelungs, a royal family in the area. Also, maybe magical creatures, maybe deities. Take your pick, really. Wait, the Nibelungs, a royal family in the area. Also, maybe magical creatures, maybe deities. Take your pick, really. Wait, the Nibelungs, didn't a lot of them get killed recently? Gunther asked. Hagen's eyes popped from his head. Spoilers! All right, so there's this cave full of treasure. It's like the family treasure or something. Thing is, they couldn't figure out how to divide it. They see some obvious royalty drop by, and both the brothers offered him the sword Balmung if he could help them divide the treasure. They submitted to Siegfried's arbitration, and before Siegfried could start dividing the treasure, one of the brothers betrayed the other and attacked. Siegfried could have been caught in the crossfire or cross slices if not for his horny skin. Gunther put down his drink. Uh, his what? Hagen continued. His skin like a horny toad. What did you think I meant? Gunther shook his head. Don't worry about it. Uh, supplementary question. Why does he have, as you in certain versions of the story say, quote, horny skin? Hagen nodded. Oh yeah, it's because he killed a dragon. Gunther blinked. Okay, and then what? It's, that's not a common side effect of killing dragons. Hagen said it is if you bathe in the dragon's blood. Small point though, apparently there's a spot on his back where a leaf stuck while he was bathing. One tiny spot where he's still vulnerable. Anyway, let's get back on track. Hagen went back to it. One king betrayed the other, and then things went down. It was complete and utter bedlam that day by the river. The factions of each of the princes fought each other and fought Siegfried. And 
700 dead warriors and two slain kings later, Siegfried and his horny skin stood alone. Then, the prince from the Netherlands heard something. There was a rustling in the treasure hoard. A few of the coins moved, and a head popped out. Siegfried met the dwarf's eyes before the creature scrambled off into the cave. Siegfried took off after it, and, in a few bounds, caught it by its beard. It simultaneously jerked away and punched Siegfried in the stomach. The prince's horny skin did not protect against that. Siegfried fell to the ground, the wind knocked out of him, and the dwarf found what he was going for, another cloak. Siegfried found his feet again. The dwarf put the cloak around him, and he vanished, an invisibility cloak. But the dwarf wasn't safe yet. He evidently thought he was, because he sprinted across the pile of gems and red gold, trying to escape the cave. Siegfried watched the steps, mentally measured out the distance, and pounced. It was the dwarf's turn to have the wind knocked out of him as Siegfried tackled him. The cloak flying off and revealing the creature, he reached for his knife, but Siegfried's new sword, Baumung, found his neck. The dwarf surrendered, and the battle was finally over. Aren't you angry that I killed your countrymen, dwarf? Siegfried spat. Uh, first, my name is Albrecht, human, and I'm a dwarf in Germanic folklore. You really think the nobility are my people? I was coming to steal from them and you started killing everyone. Uh, I think that was going to happen regardless, Siegfried said, wiping his sword and sheathing it. Siegfried looked out at the 702 bodies spread all around the river. Well, did the dwarf want to help him get his gold back in the cave? You know what? He should rephrase that. The dwarf would be helping him get the gold back in the cave. Because there was no way the mythological creature would be able to outrun him. Besides, he would make it worth the dwarf's while. Siegfried couldn't stay here forever. And he needed someone to watch over his gold. The dwarf said he would do it. But from here on out, Siegfried should probably watch his back. Siegfried cocked an eyebrow. Why? Was this gold cursed? Albrecht thought about it. Not as far as he knew. I mean, the 702 guys outside might feel otherwise, but it was just normal gold. He was now super rich and would have a lot of people wanting his gold. You know, best of luck. Siegfried laughed. He didn't need luck. He had horny skin. The dwarf stopped. Mm, Siegfried should probably, you know, chill out with that a bit. That didn't sound as frightening as Siegfried thought it did. Back in Gunther's castle, he nodded at Hagen. Good story. I like how you included some dialogue to liven it up. Ever get any negative feedback on that? Rarely, Hagen replied. Most people understand that it's not really part of the original and kind of anachronistic. Anyway, the same Siegfried who killed the dragon and wiped up the Nibelungs. He was here. He just had a birthday, and all of his father's nobles had committed to following him. And you know why he's here. Gunther sighed. His sister, Kriemhild, the one who vowed never to marry? Hagen nodded. The very same. Wait, so you're not here for Kriemhild? 
Gunther asked the youth, yelling at him in his throne room. Siegfried asked who Krimhild was. No, he was here because he was a great prince. He had killed a dragon. And now he wanted a kingdom. But aren't you like the heir to your father's great kingdom, as you just yelled in my face? Siegfried said that he was, but that was his father's kingdom. He wanted his own, and he would take Gunther's by force. Gunther narrowed his eyes. Was this guy serious right now? But there was no hint of jest in Siegfried's eyes. Gunther, though, remembered the stories. He looked at Siegfried's skin. It didn't look horned. Gunther was almost certain he could survive the fight. His men outnumbered those from the Netherlands, but the foreigners looked tough. And if Siegfried truly had the skin of a dragon, hmm, Hagen and the others were already reaching for their swords, getting ready for a fight in the throne room. It was better not to risk it. Gunther smiled and opened his arms to the stranger. Tell you what, you don't have to conquer us. You seem like a good kid, and as of yet, I don't have an heir. How about this? You stay with us, and everything I have is yours. We share things. And in the meantime, how about I tell you about my sister, Kriemhild? Siegfried narrowed his eyes, but relaxed his sword arm. All right, he was listening. One year later, Gunther had a problem. Well, one more problem. He was going to be invaded. Two kings, one from Saxony and one from Denmark, had mustered an army. And Gunther's friends told him they would be there in 12 weeks to take Gunther's kingdom by force. <sighs> Story of his life. Only this time he didn't have a sister he could pay them off with. Well, he did, but they were also pretty intent on taking his sister when they took his kingdom. Also, she was kind of betrothed to Siegfried? I mean, she didn't know that she was, and, and Siegfried didn't know that he technically wasn't, and that Gunther was really just buying time looking for a way to get rid of this guy, while also trying to figure out if he actually had horny skin. Then, Gunther saw an opportunity. He looked into a mirror and made his best pouty face perfect. He called Siegfried in. Ah, their kingdom, their kingdom that they shared and ruled jointly with Gunther's name on all the paperwork. Tax purposes, don't worry about it. Their kingdom was under attack. In 12 weeks, 40,000 men would be besieging them. And in that time, Gunther could only hope to muster 10,000 warriors. Siegfried stood. Don't worry, partner. He would go and face the kings, and he would do so with just 1,000 men. Gunther said, seriously, he could get 10... You know what? Why was he working against himself? Sure, go with a thousand. And so, Siegfried did. Thus ending Gunther's anxiety over Siegfried's presence in his kingdom. Soon, the kid would be dead, and hopefully just serve as a speed bump for the Saxons and Danes, so Gunther could figure out how to recruit more warriors to defend worms. It was gonna be okay. At the very least, he would finally be rid of Siegfried. Oh my gosh, Siegfried, you're alive! Gunther smiled a few months later when Siegfried returned. So good. And who is this friend? Siegfried moved aside to reveal Ludiger, 
one of the kings of Denmark. We own Denmark now, Siegfried announced. Yeah, Ludiger cut in, clasping Siegfried on the shoulder. This is Siegfried. What a big deal. When I saw his shield, even though he murdered my friend and was slaughtering my army, I was like, this guy's so powerful and awesome that I should just surrender. So I did. Gave up my whole kingdom. Siegfried, Gunther said. What a brave, relatable, realistic character with so much room to grow. Well, you know, this is actually good news. Gunther thought about it. This Siegfried guy had put his life on the line for their kingdom under only the vague promise of marrying Gunther's sister. He had been here for a year and a half and, by all accounts, saved their kingdom and added significant new territory and only lost 60 warriors. Gunther still was unmarried and with no heir. Siegfried would make a good heir and Kriemhild would have him, a good brother-in-law. Kriemhild, at that moment, was sitting down with a messenger. The sister of the king, while not nearly such a public figure as her brother, liked to know what was going on and giving nice gifts to the messengers in the area was a good way to know things, even before her brother did. Now, she was learning all about how Siegfried had defeated the Danes and Saxons, and how, with the sheer force of his awesomeness, the entire army capitulated and surrendered. She piled some gold in the pouch of the messenger, and the man thanked her. She thought about it. She had vowed never to marry, and she wouldn't, but she did want to meet this Siegfried. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It was the day that Siegfried met Kriemhild, that the knight who had killed a dragon, secured a fortune, and routed an army with a look, was terrified. He was speechless before Kriemhild's beauty. Kriemhild, for all of her talk, found herself warming up to Siegfried. Gunther permitted it, and every day after mass, the pair would take a walk together and get to know each other. Gunther figured it was the least he could do for the man who saved his kingdom after languishing in limbo for a whole year. So, Siegfried was happy. Gunther was happy. And though she would never admit it to the queen mother, Kriemhild was happy. Hey, so I have a question for you. Siegfried ventured with King Gunther. You want to marry my sister? Cool, I am so glad you asked. I want to get married too. Uh, okay, I don't really see how that has anything to do with this. Siegfried observed. But Gunther explained, in Iceland, there was a queen who rules her own kingdom. Her name was Brunhild. She is the complete package. She can throw a javelin, chuck a boulder a massive distance, and long jump to beat the best of them. In fact, she had beaten the best of them. All the guys who came to ask for her hand in marriage had to beat her at throwing a javelin, throwing a boulder, and jumping farther than her. If they didn't, they died. Siegfried said that Gunther had really particular 
scary tastes, but good for him. He just didn't see how this had anything to do with him and Kriemhild. Gunther nodded. Well, if Siegfried helped Gunther woo Brynhild, then Siegfried could marry Kriemhild. They'd all be one big happy family. Siegfried grew angry. He could just conquer Gunther's kingdom. Gunther knew that, right? Gunther shook his head. He didn't think Siegfried was going to do that. For one, Gunther saw his little walks every day. They were cute. He and Gunther's sister were in love. Didn't Siegfried think that killing Kriemhild's whole family and taking her by force might sour things a bit? Look, Gunther could rubber stamp this whole thing in no time. All he needed was Siegfried's help. You see, Gunther was realistic. He knew he wasn't the strongest guy in the world, probably not even stronger than Brunhild. But Siegfried had a magical cloak that granted him super strength, according to legends. Look, these ancient world competitions to win women's hands were almost never a fair fight. So Gunther wanted to make things just more fair by cheating. Siegfried sat back and stroked his beard. This seemed like a bad idea. Still, it would be Gunther's problem. And if it was the only way he could get the king's blessing to marry Kriemhild, well, you know what? Sure, he would do it. The original version then launches into kind of a long and indulgent kingly tuxedo dress-up party. Because if you're going to try to woo a queen by a mini deadly Olympics, you had to look fantastic while doing it. The day came, and Gunther and Siegfried said goodbye to the queen mother and Kriemhild. Kriemhild wished her brother wasn't going to try and woo such a dangerous woman. There were plenty of women in the Rhineland who would love to marry him, but Siegfried stepped forward and kissed her hand. He said her brother would be successful in wooing Brunhild, because then Siegfried would return. And when he did, and if she wanted to, they could finally be together. He didn't wait for her to respond. The men boarded the boat, and as they rowed up the Rhine to meet the North Sea, and finally the Atlantic. Kriemhild, for the first time in her life, smiled at the possibility of marriage. They rocked on the waves. They crossed the deep sea. Eisenstein, translating to Ironstone, Brunhild's fortress, was in sight. Siegfried put down his oar. All right, everyone. Let's get our story straight. When we get there, Brunhild will look pretty, but she's extremely dangerous. We need to be of one mind. Gunther is the king and in charge, and I am his servant. Remember, everyone, get that story straight. Gunther said that that's what, that's reality. I'm, I'm the king. There you go, Siegfried smiled. Everyone follow Gunther's example. I believe that he believes that. I do, Gunther said. I'm the king, you came into my kingdom. He was a little bit more insistent. <laughs> All right, buddy. Now you're just showing off, Siegfried said. Save it for Brunhild. Welcome, Siegfried, to my country. Your reputation precedes you, Brunhild boomed. Why are you here? The woman at the head of the table wearing a flowing white dress radiated beauty and terror. The four men from Worms had been forced to take off their armor at the gate. Before being invited to dine with the queen of the fortress, they were told that no one wore armor in the castle. 
That edict apparently excluded the 500-man personal guard of Brunhild, who they passed constantly and who now stood watching them eat. Siegfried, though he grinned and readied himself to play legendary wingman for Gunther, swallowed hard. I'm not here for me. I'm here for Gunther, my, my king, and a prince of the Rhinelands. He wants to compete for your hand. I told him not to come, but the guy, oh, that guy is just too powerful. He has too much natural authority. Those eyes, when they look at you, it's like they're looking into you, and that jawline? Wow. Gunther nudged him under the table. He appreciated it, but a little much. Pump the brakes. Brunhild looked at the four men, Siegfried, Gunther, Hagen, and Dankwart, and said that Gunther could compete like any other man that arrived here. If he won, they would wed, and if he failed, they would all die. Hagen and Dankwart shifted uncomfortably in their chairs, but Gunther rose. Lay down whatever challenges you want. Add more if you like. I would face them all for my love of you, and if I fail, I would gladly lose my head. Hey, King, Master, let's just stick with the standard murderous engagement package. Remember who's doing the work, Siegfried whispered. Then it was Brunhild's time to rise. Well, why wait? Let's do it now, then. She snapped her fingers, and her ladies began to dress her in jewel-encrusted armor. The men from Burgundy were ordered by the surrounding warriors, and everyone was forced outside. Siegfried threw up his hands. Hey, uh, it had been a long boat ride. Could he maybe run to the bathroom before all this kicked off? He asked a nearby knight where the nearest room with a hole in the ground was, and when no one was watching him, slipped out of a window and sprinted back to the boat to get his invisibility and super strength cloak. When he returned, he saw what he was up against. Three men were struggling to bring Queen Brunhild her javelin. It said that three and a half ingots went into its forging, and it doesn't say what type of metal or how big the ingots were, so I can't get a good guess on just how heavy this thing is. But by the fact that three men were having difficulties with it, it was heavy. Brunhild picked it up like it was nothing, though. Gunther swallowed hard. Okay, cool, I mean... He knew she was supposed to be strong, but wow. In a little over your head, Siegfried whispered to his king, then followed that up with a, don't look at me, I'm invisible. It took 12 men in an awkward circle to bring Brunhild's boulder out next, the one that both she and Gunther would have to throw. She picked it up easily, tossed it up and down a couple of times, and then just set it back on the ground. Then she rolled up her sleeves, picked up her javelin, and threw it. It stuck in the field far off, among countless other little pockmarks of the men who came before Gunther, the ones who tried and died. All right, just stay with me, Siegfried whispered. It didn't need to be perfect, just good enough. Try to keep in contact with the javelin. So confident, Brunhood stood out in the field where her javelin had landed. No one had ever beaten her, and no one ever would, is what she thought when she had to step out of the way. The javelin grazed her chainmail, and sparks lit up her shocked face. Siegfried was panting. Even with his cloak bestowed super strength, that was tough, but he had done it. The first challenge was complete. The second challenge happened immediately, when Brunhild stormed back, gripped the boulder, and threw it farther than any of her knights had ever seen. 72 feet. Gunther and Siegfried rushed to the boulder and tossed it back, crossing the line that Brunhild had been standing on. 
throwing it farther. Panting, they met Brunhild at the line, and she leapt, pushed nearly to exhaustion. Siegfried did not, in fact, lift his friend up at the waist and have him pretend jump as he carried Gunther. That would immediately have given them away. Instead, he gripped the back of Gunther's shirt with one hand and wrapped his other around the man's chest, taking the leap himself and bringing Gunther along for the whiplash-inducing ride. Brunhild was too stunned to notice two sets of footprints in the dirt when the men landed. Gunther felt his friend pat him on the back and disappear. It was over. They had won. Siegfried returned minutes later, bathed in sweat, saying that he had just been running everywhere looking for a bathroom and then trying to make it back here in time. Did they win? That question was answered by Brunhild, stepping to the side and looking to the ground, gesturing for her 500 knights to bow. Bow to the one who now ruled her kingdom. Bow to their king. The 500 knights who, until then, had been ready to tear the interlopers to pieces, bowed. Wedding planning can be stressful, especially when one side is hoping to turn their knights on the other, only to have a third come back with a thousand knights to make sure everything went according to plan. Brunhild said she needed to inform all of her vassal kings, those who served her in Iceland, of her departure to the Rhineland. So she called all of them to her fortress. The Burgundians, numbering four, were rightly worried about Brunhild calling her banners, in Game of Thrones parlance, so Siegfried left under the cover of darkness. This show of force more than matched Brunhild's and the wedding plans continued apace, because nothing says this marriage will last like needing to keep a knife at the throat of your betrothed. The time came, though, for Brunhild to put a steward in charge of her fortress, wish her maidens well, and board Gunther's ship to Burgundy. She sighed, watching Iceland shrink on the horizon. As they took to the open sea, she vowed, silently, to one day return to her father's lands. She never would. Weeks later, back in Worms, Kriemhild was called to her brother, Gunther. The man had returned home with his terrifying fiance, and while she was getting used to her new home, Gunther had something to ask of his sister. He said that someone wanted to marry her, a warrior a man he knew that she would love, but it was her choice. It always was and would only ever be her choice. She smiled. She thought she knew who this man was, and she was right. Siegfried walked into the room for the tensest 45 seconds of his life. She had vowed to never marry, but that was before she met him before their walks, before knowing that there was someone out there with whom she could share her complete self and still be truly loved. She gave the answer she never expected to give. She said yes. The pair kissed, and right then, they were married by Gunther. His own wedding was later on that day, and the pair of couples celebrated together in complete happiness before parting and adjourning to their own separate quarters. The next morning, 
Siegfried left Kriemhild sleeping in their quarters. He, he was happy. He was a legend in his own time and immeasurably rich, sure, but here, in Worms, he had found a reason for it all. He had found love. He passed by Gunther and Brunhild's room. It was already open. He kept walking until he heard a, Siegfried? Is that you? It was Gunther's voice. Siegfried stopped and scanned the empty hallway before stepping back to his friend's doorway. Yes? Gunther? In hushed whispers, Gunther told his friend that she was out. Come quickly, and shut the door behind him. Siegfried moved quickly, slipped in the room, and closed the door, asking his buddy how last night what? Oh, my. Hogtied and dangling naked from a rafter, Gunther replied that last night... Last night did not go well. That's where we're going to leave it today. Next week, we'll see what happened to make Brunhild pass on a night with her new husband, and what the two friends, who definitely should have left well enough alone and not gone to Iceland, are going to do about it. The creature this time is the Stalin worm, or the Tazzle worm, from the Alps. Say you're walking along and, out of a tunnel in the ground, you see the face of a cat. This cat might have a crown on its head. And your first two thoughts are, hey, that might be the cat Sith, the king of the cats. And also, I should get a picture of that because the internet will love a cat with a tiny, adorable crown on its head. If you beckon the cat out into better lighting and see that it's long, very long, and dragon-like with just two or several clawed centipede-like feet, well, you've just met the Stalin worm, or the tunnel worm. For my years of bad-mouthing cats on this podcast, we got a cat, and I actually love them now. Uh, but I think everyone has to acknowledge that a cat's predatory instincts, combined with a reptile's aggression, means that if you see a dragon cat coming out of a hole in the ground, you should get out of there. Like many dragons, they're said to have poison breath, and when they rear up, they're over six feet tall. In 1887, the naturalist Carl Wilhelm von Dallatore wrote one of his works, The History of the Dragons in the Alps, when an actual naturalist could write a history of the dragons in the Alps, that no, a cat-faced dragon in the Alps was preposterous. The cat part was obviously folklore, but the dragon part tracked. More than most creatures, people really devoted a lot of effort in trying to see if this cat dragon was real. Scholars wrote of eyewitness accounts. Scientists tried to figure out how they could exist. Bounties were announced for the remains of an authentic Stalin worm. And I joke, but I honestly respect the scholars. They do have a healthy skepticism, and they say that scientists do need to maintain an open-mindedness about the world around them. I mean, some say that. Others seem to really want dragons to exist. I was convinced that I covered this creature already, but a quick search revealed that I only recognized the name because of God of War, which came out in 2018, for which I actually voiced the official podcast. They went with the two-legged version, but honestly, it's spot on. I posted a link to the depiction of the creature in the game and to the podcast that I voiced, if you're interested. Both are in the show notes. If you find yourself up against a Stalin worm or tassel worm, you don't need a mythical Norse axe, but a white rooster. Because 
for all of their poison and teeth and feet. If the Stalin worm sees a white rooster, it turns around and crawls right back into that hole. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. Simply Safe is the home security for right now, when feeling safe at home has never been more important. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7, starting at 50 cents a day. Order online easily. Open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. No technician has to come to your house. Head to simplysafe.com/legends and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>